0: Sorry, I'm used to a laptop all day, so. If I can only type in my password. Okay. Okay, let me pray first. God, um, I need you. You know my sins, Lord, um, they're before me. I'm, I'm worthy to do this, God. But God, my, my focus, Lord, is on um, your cross, What you've done for us lord the peace that you give to us and this is the peace we want to give to others so um, help me to speak clearly and boldly and would your spirit come and speak louder than all else in jesus name amen so um my um, talk i called it a cursed work for for blessing the nations and i focused on uh, luke one uh, luke eight verses 1 to 3. So let's go back to that. Oops. Luke 8, 1 to 3. Yeah, I'll control it from here. So, um, we just read that, and one of the things that caught me was that it said, Jesus, soon afterward, went through cities and villages. This passage is a passage on missions. Um... There were times where Jesus would stay at a village, and the village would say, "Hey, can you stay a longer?" He'd be like, "No, I got to keep going. There's other places I have to go." And um, does this does that not remind you of Acts? Sorry. This is so weird. sorry. Okay, my I'm controlling two different things. Okay. And um, does this not remind you of Acts chapter one verse eight? Where it says, hey, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? So Jesus did that. So this passage, Luke 8, is a passage on missions, right? And what did he do when when he went to all these different places? He proclaimed and brought the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus' mission primarily was to proclaim the gospel. He obviously proclaimed and healed as well, but that's Luke 9. In Luke 8, the focus is purely on proclaiming and giving the, uh, the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this applies to all of us, right? We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may, what, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our primary job. We proclaim. We're proclaiming the gospel everywhere. Uh, the next uh, phrase was uh, the 12 were with him. Okay? Jesus had, had two camps. There were the 12, 12 men whom he appointed, whom he gave special authority. Okay? These were what you could say the traditional missionaries. They were, they were sent out. Okay? But then there's another group with Jesus, a separate group, and some, some women, okay, not in the same category as the twelve, okay, and what do we know about these women? They were healed of evil spirits and infirmities, and when I think about this, this group, every single one of them were touched by Jesus. When you become a Christian, when you become saved, when you come to know the risen Savior, You're changed, and we all have stories for that. Uh, I'm reminded of John 9, uh, verse 25, where the blind man just goes, I I don't know. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And I speak to some of you guys who grew up at church with no real ailments or tragedies, and nothing's really, you know, come into your life. You've never really struggled with anxiety or depression, but here's what I've seen. When I go to the workforce, I see men who seem to have it all together and through anxiety, they wanna kill themselves. Why is that? It's because we're living in a broken world and we're not meant to live in such a world, okay? Um, they all have different identities. Look at, look at um, for, for one of them, for Mary, she's known as the woman whom seven demons had come out. Okay, that was her identity. I think of these uh, 80s movies where you have a jock, you have a pretty girl, you have a, a, a smart guy, and then you have a guy who you know, always gets in trouble, right? There are these stereotypes. Well, everyone has that de- identity. Well, what was Mary's identity? She had seven demons in her. She had an ailment, you know? What about uh, this other person, right? Uh, the wife of Chusa. okay? Well, who's Chusa? Herod's household manager. Why, why would that come in? Because that was her identity. It would be like saying, oh yeah, he's the uh, GM for the warriors, you know? The wife of the GM of the warriors, right? So you have people from all sorts of classes whose identities, um, are, you have rich, you have poor, and, but they've all been touched by Jesus. And then the next phrase is, is the reason why I chose this passage is, he provide, they provided for them out of their means. This is, this is amazing. Just, just sit and pause and think about this. Okay? This is Jesus okay, who could do miracles, who could raise the dead, who could feed 5,000 people from just a few fishes and loaves, and then later fed 4,000 people. And when he needed money to pay taxes, he just threw out a hook, caught a fish, found the money in it, and paid a tax. These 12 men, their daily needs were paid for by these women who came alongside out of their means, and what were their means? It was through ordinary work. God could have done it any other way, but that's not how he did it. He set up, he set this up. So when you think about this, that means missions is primarily empowered by non-missionaries, traditional categorical missionaries, who work, who do mundane jobs, don't you feel that way when you have a nine-to-five job? You're bored out of your mind through the daily grind. You're sitting through traffic, and you're like, why am I doing this? And I'm here to encourage you. I'm telling you, when you're doing that work, when, you, when the money that you make, that you use to give, to, to give toward missions, it is by no means ordinary. It is extraordinary. Your work is the means by which missions happens. God could have done it any other way. He could have just miraculously multiplied food all the time, but he didn't. Okay? He, he did it this way. And, and why did I choose this text? I'm not a pastor. Um, I'm not clergy. I sit in front of a computer all day, and I, I'm writing code, and I want to encourage you. Now from this text, I kept meditating on the word provide, okay? so these women provided. And then I, and then I thought of something else. You know, there's, an, there's another way besides providing for um, money, okay? There's more than money that you can provide. Certainly there's prayer, there's comfort, there's encouragement, but there's more than that. I want to focus on, on a type of provision, it's a little beyond this text, uh, called opportunity. And I'll show you where I get this from the Bible. I get it from Paul and his Roman citizenship, So check this out. In Acts 9, right, so Jesus tells, uh, talks about Paul and says, he's my chosen instrument. So God chooses Paul, right? What is his job? To carry my name before the Gentiles, okay, to non-Jews, and kings and the children of Israel. Jesus specifically chose Paul and said, you're going to go to Gentiles, kings, and to Jews, okay? So Acts 27 when Paul is very scared, this is what he says, okay, for this very night there stood before me an angel of God. God sent him an angel to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Don't be scared, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, the king, right? And behold, God has granted all those who sail with you. So God had chosen Paul to send him to kings, right? And in this case, Paul had to go before Caesar and testify about Jesus. What was the means by which God accomplished this? Paul was a Roman citizen. It was very, very, very difficult to get that in those days. He had it as a, as a birthright. And when he was persecuted, he appealed to his birthright. He said, it's my right as a Roman citizen to stand before Caesar and to make my case. So he did that, and he appeared before centurions, before Governor Felix, before King Agrippa, and finally before Caesar. Paul's Roman citizenship provided the way for missions. It's not just money. Okay? Not just money. Um, So if Roman citizenship was something of value 2,000 years ago, what would be the Roman citizenship of today? I don't think it's a US citizenship. It's not that powerful. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's um, globalization. I'll, I'll make my case, okay? So with the Roman citizenship back then, you were guaranteed rule of law, you could travel across the empire. Today, what gets you access everywhere is not appealing to Caesar. It's appealing to the fact that people need jobs. Okay? Global trades is what gets you everywhere in the world. Okay? There, there's very few things this, in this room that are made in just one country. You buy a car, if it's made in America, it's only percentage of it. You only have to hit a certain percentage, you can say it's made in America. Everything is made everywhere, and it's assembled in a ton of places, and it comes together. Right? This laptop, right, designed in California, assembled in China, right? And globalization provides opportunities for missions you would never get in a prior uh, civilization. Because back then, you could live in one corner of the empire, you wouldn't need something from the other corner of the empire. Well, not so. You could be anywhere in the world if you're going to be using parts made from China. You're going to be using software made in the U.S. Let me give you an example. Peter Han, he's a Korean guy, Korean-American, he's a hero of mine. Uh, I see him uh, several times a year, and um, let me tell you about him. So he was a Korean-American, he has an accent, so he's a generation above me. And his dream was very simple. Buy houses, which is the Chinese way, right? Or the Asian way, because he's Korean. Buy houses, and then you get renters, right, to support that, and then as soon as you make enough money, you, as, of, as the equity goes up, you take the, you take the other one, uh, the delta of the equity, you borrow with a line of credit, use that as a down payment, and bam, and you get another renter, and you play a game of monopoly. I know Chinese people do this. I, I, I hear my in-laws and the missionaries, they're always talking about rent and, and uh, housing and real estate, so he did that. And he leveraged, and he had tons of houses, uh, then the 1994 uh, Northridge earthquake hit, and uh, he lost everything. He couldn't cover. When you can't cover, you're screwed. So somehow he got a $500,000 0% interest loan as part of a, a recovery program. He took that money Okay, in his 50s. He's, he's quite older now. And he opened up a school. Um, it's called... Uh, It was called, I'll explain that, Tumen River Vocational School. And it was located just across um, the North Korean border in China. And uh, those are his students. And he used it to buy this five-story building. And um, they would have students. You can see that in the middle section. And they would, it's basically, it was a vocational school, because there's a bunch of people who can't get in the top universities, they still have to have jobs. So what did he train them? Um, He trained them how to speak English, how to make cakes, how to use computers, how to um, do your hair, right? And then there was lots of VBS, essentially VBS. It's just hangout times, right? You're playing ropes, you're you're eating out, um, yeah. You might recognize some of these people anyways uh some some parties you you share about christmas you know you, you do stuff like that and you're providing um jobs for people and you're providing a service for the community so the local government absolutely loved this because now you have a bunch of jobless people who suddenly have jobs and you have a bunch of services that can be provided in this outpost town that nobody cares about suddenly is better off, right? So local government, uh, Chinese government uh, loved him. And he used that as an outpost. And then he went inside to North Korea. He still goes inside. And that right there is a of bao and uh, some white halai. Well, not white halai, soy milk, not that brand. And I, yeah, this is a picture they, they, they allowed us to, to take inside and, and take out. And this is the amazing part. He feeds, even today, 22,000 people a day with one bowl of bao and one soy milk drink. This is a good, how, I, don't, I, I still am baffled when I, when I see this uh, in our meeting notes. Um, and they, it, it's a, uh, they do more than that, though. They also opened up a uh, childcare facility for North Korean kids. And this is all business related. None of this stuff is, is free. Okay, there's, there's some freeness to it because it's, it's sold at a very low cost, but you know, there's a childcare facility, right? And then they also sell a, a red bean paste that, that's absolutely certified organic. There's like nothing in there. It's, it's, it's nice. And he also, while he was in there, he, he found something else. See, in, North Korea, you, you sometimes have to go and just pick a lot of stuff from whatever grows from the wild. So if, you, if your foot traffic gives you a certain radius, that's all you can gather from. So he saw a need for buses. And people are willing to pay for these buses so that they can go much farther of a distance and gather more stuff. This is a business. He has like five buses that, that uh, transport stuff back and forth, it's amazing. And then they found these old um, ships, fixed them up, and they can go out and fish. All from a guy who lost everything from an earthquake. You know? And, um, this, and they, right at the edge of, of North Korea, that's where all the ocean stuff like feeds into. So it has really, really good fertilizer, and it's all organic. Now, he was arrested, uh, August of 2014. Why? Because China turned up the heat. And it, did, it didn't matter that the local government liked what he did. He was arrested in China, and he spent over a year uh, in a combination of, of physical jail and house arrest. And when it came out, his hair was all white. And it messed him up a, uh, quite a bit. He, he's never been the same since, since then. Uh, and when he gave his testimony, it was before... Um, Judges, and it was given in three languages. English, Korean, because that's where the, uh, the local group in, in that area, they speak Korean, because it's so close to uh, North Korea, and Mandarin. Everything was done in three languages. That's quite amazing. Really reminds me of Paul. And the Chinese government took the building. It's gone now. He no longer has that as an outpost. But he's been doing that enough that the NK missions, continues. So that's, that's not stopped. Now he gets to focus 100% on North Korea. He didn't have to you know, use China as a, as a, as a step. Um, he, he's, 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 he's a hero of mine. Um, I want to give some other examples. Um, there's this film series from Seattle Pacific that um, somebody from my church is like cousin or brother-in-law or somebody uh, helped film this. And, and they just looked at uh, a bunch of Christians who work for secular companies and a bunch of Christians who run businesses. And they talk about the intersection of faith and um, business. Um, you can Google faith and company, SPU, or you can take a picture of that. And they have an example of somebody who just moved to Vietnam. Um, they have an example of two Christians who, while working at Apple, they were recruited by Steve Jobs. That's pretty cool, right, to say you were recruited by him. And I I mentioned this other group because with globalization, you don't have to start a global business, okay? You can work for a multinational and request a transfer, right? Uh, And one of the things I really love about business missions, uh, actually missions because of globalization, is you really get to build long-term relationships. When I I do some of my short-term trips, I meet people and I never see them again. Um, that's not the case with, with what I've experienced, uh, at least at work. Um, so I, I, I started LifeRay, um, the second, second guy who came with me uh, is Mike Young, he actually grew up at this church. Um, we are a secular business. We happen to have a bunch of Christians who, who work there, who work here. And we have 20 offices around the world. Um, and, we have, and one of the things that's been difficult for us is we specifically chose not to take any venture capital. And for a tech company of our size to so not take venture capital, it's unheard of. And God has somehow, well, obviously, he, He's provided for us, and we're constantly scared. We're scared because technology changes in and out. You can, you can be Blackberry the next day. But while we have this window, we wanna invest in long-term relationships. So this is some of them. Um, the folks in that room, I think every single one of them except for the girl I still work with, and it's been over 10 years. So that's my house in the Heights. Um, We were trying to save money. So one guy's from Brazil, actually two there, no, three are from Brazil, three are from Spain. Ah, easy to remember, three, three. And the girl is uh, from LA. And then my wife, yeah, that's there. So at one point in time, we had um, nine people, two big dogs, and a 1,000 square foot house for months at a time. And we did that to save money, and I wanted to train them. They're all non-believers. We had four guys and two bunk beds in one room. I had Alice in my garage. I had my mom and dad and then Karras and me. And we, it was so packed. We had to do a 7 a.m. shift and an 8 a.m. shift for bathrooms. Since so my dad hogged up the other bathroom. And when I met Jorge, the first thing I said to him was, because he's from Spain, it's very religious, right? I told him, I believe Jesus died and rose again from the dead, literally. Okay. His jaws dropped and he did not know how to respond because people in Spain, it's like me telling them, I believe the tooth fairy is real, right? So, but the thing is, I work with him over code constantly. And when it, goes, when it comes to zeros and ones, I seem to have it all together. So I tell him, here are the reasons for why I believe Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And we played, you know, we played, we, and we could, we do stuff like that. And, 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 and it's, it's, I'm, I'm so thankful for these relationships, and I'm constantly gospeling to them. We've also had some new ones. We recently opened up an office in uh, Saudi, uh, uh, in Dubai, and we did some travels in Saudi Arabia. And these folks flocked to see uh, my partner here, Brian. He's the CEO, yeah, also named Brian. And, and, and it's so confusing for them because they can't, they, they can't, because he's Brian with a Y. I'm Brian with an I. Right. His last name is Chung, C-H-E-U-N-G, I'm Chan. They have no idea who's who. So like Brain Chung, Brain Chan. it's like, anyways, we find their names confusing too. But, um, but we're crossing culturally, and, we, and the reason why I show this is because in Saudi Arabia, we're hanging out with guys who dress this way, they're of one culture, and we're, dress, and we're hanging out with guys who dress this way, who are of another culture in the same country. Right? And when we're there, we have a reason, because they need to save money through software. And if we're the best way of doing it, it doesn't matter if they don't uh, agree with our, our, our values. Right? The, if they don't, their business won't survive, so they have to use us. So, so that's some of uh, uh, my story. Uh, I wanna share some other ones from, from the Bible that you usually don't think of from the perspective of business missions. But I'm gonna look at Joseph. Okay. Here's a man who was, who was his father's favorite son, right? And because of jealousy, he was sold as a slave. And what ends up happening to him? He ends up as the prime minister, right, through work. Ultimately, his job was to ensure how to capture the goods, right, and save all that food. And Genesis 45:7. what does he say? And God sent me before you. God sent me, all right? Yeah, I know, I know you, guys, you guys sold me as slaves and it was your sin, but God's the one who sent me, okay? He didn't allow it to happen. He sent me, okay? In the same way he sent the famine, he sent me, okay, before you. And what was God's purpose? To preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And then a few verses later in verse 11, there I will provide for you. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll provide. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. They would have perished. And God used a prime minister to provide for the future Messiah. Right? In Hebrews, right? Um, the Messiah was still in uh, um, Abraham's groins, right? So it goes on. So he was a form of provision um another one esther it's a esther is a very interesting book god is never mentioned in the book of esther it's very strange you will not see the word god but god is everywhere and I, and I and i feel that's the case when you do business at work sometimes you just don't see god written anywhere but trust me god is there she was a risk taker um, let me show you this verse from uh, esther four sixteen. actually for esther Ironically, she's a true beauty queen, right? We use that term a lot, but she was the first beauty queen, okay? Then Mordecai uh, told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Basically, they were going to kill all Jews. Her identity was hidden, and they said, just because you're in the palace, don't think you're safe, okay? For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. If you're going to shut up and you're not going to stand up for us, God's going to deliver us from somewhere else and you won't be safe. When I see that, I think, wow, Brian, don't think you're safe. If you don't go out and proclaim, I'll send someone else to proclaim and you won't be safe either. Okay? But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? Maybe you were born so hot. You're so beautiful. There's not a blemish on you. Why are you so beautiful, Esther? Maybe you're just the perfect type for the king so that you could be here at this moment, right? Why are you at USC and not some other school? Why are you at job A and not somewhere else? If every raindrop is ordained by God, if every hair on your head is numbered, do you not think you're there for a reason, for a purpose? Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Pray for me, guys. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I, my young women, will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. Now, he's, she's not allowed to go to the king without the king first summoning her. And if she goes and he doesn't put the scepter on her, she's dead. I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She so was a risk taker. And I pray that some of you guys will be willing to take risks as well. There's another guy whom I really love, Nehemiah, oh man, I love him. He's a cupbearer to the king, right? He's not just the guy who tastes the wine before you give to the king, okay? And then, and then the, the king watches him taste, oh, you didn't drop dead, I can drink the wine. It was much more than that. He was a trusted advisor to the king. He was like the chief of staff, okay? And what did he do? We know he rebuilt the wall. We know he, when, he, when um, when people had to pay the king's tax and the poor had to borrow money, he stopped that, that borrowing. He made sure there was no interest. He took care of the poor, Nehemiah 5 4. And then in Nehemiah 13, he ensured obedience. This is, a, this is not a priest, he's a business guy. I'll, I'll prove it. right? And what did he do? He ensured that the people kept the Sabbath, he ensured that the people paid the tithe to take care of the temple, he ensured holiness and sexual purity when it was not happening among the people of God. And what does he say? He says it four times in Nehemiah 13. And, and one example is Nehemiah 13. Remember me, O my God, for my good. Okay, remember me, God, for the good I've done. And he did it for free. How did he do this? Okay, check this out. So he was a governor in uh, Jerusalem. And moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king. So for 12 years, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. There was an amount of food that he could have taken from the people. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so. This is Nehemiah, given an account of what he did. This is not boasting. This is just, he's just stating this is what I did. Why did I do that? Because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and I, we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there at my table, 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. So 150 plus some other guests. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. And every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. He's like, I'm not gonna take the tax money even though I'm allowed it. Remember me for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Well, nothing's free. That money had to come from somewhere. I'm just assuming Nehemiah was very wealthy. He, he must have made his money as a chief of staff or something, right? And he daily provided for it. Right. Now, a lot of you guys are going to say, I'm not Joseph. I'm not Nehemiah. I'm not Esther. I wasn't born pretty. I wasn't born smart. I'm not going to start some company. Well, I want to encourage you. Don't, don't feel too bad, because wherever position you're in, you're all, there's always somebody who's taller, okay? Here's how I want to encourage you. Remember the 101, and then remember the 7,000. In First Kings 18, um, Obadiah went to see Elijah. He's one. He did not bow down to Baal. And he kept 100 who did not bow down to Baal. Okay, so that's 101. First Kings 19, Elijah says to God, I'm so sick and tired of this. I don't just, I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one. After killing 800 plus Baal prophets. And then in verse 14, he says again, I'm the only one left. And how does God reply in verse 18? Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bound on to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. There were 7,101 unnamed, not famous common folk. That's you and me, guys. We are the common folk. We are not even Mary Magdalene and Joanna's you know, wife of Chusa, Herod, blah, blah, and, says, and there were other women. We're that, dot, dot, dot. And that's okay. In the kingdom of God, we will get to kiss Jesus' feet. And he knows our name, even though our names are not written here. I want you guys to take courage. Though you are the ones who are unnamed, proclaim the excellencies of God and use the work God has given to you. Cursed is anyone hung on a tree. That's originally from Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty three, and Paul quotes it in Galatians three thirteen. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Lots of curses in that, right? Jesus Christ took on the curse. by becoming a curse for us so that the power of the curse the sting of death has no power over us anymore work today is cursed none of us like going to work I hate going to work okay but remember work was good before the fall God created work before the fall and he said it is good And it is still good after the fall it is good but it's cursed it's by the sweat of our brow that we work and eat so brothers and sisters i want to encourage you let us use cursed work to bless the nations in the same way jesus used a curse became a curse for us use the money god has given to you give toward missions Use the opportunities you've been given. You know, this is I've I've been tempted many times to just quit and never work again, to just retire and go off to some island. The only reason I don't is because every time that thought tempts me, I go, that's that would be a waste of my life. And I go, Well then Brian, why are you working right now? Why are you huffing and puffing instead of doing nothing, instead of twirling your thumbs, sipping martinis? why do you want to why are you working brian and at the end of the day it's i can provide opportunities for evangelism that a traditional church cannot that's my role that's my purpose for now and that's what i must do and you have a role you have a purpose in the kingdom of god and i encourage you use cursed work to accomplish that for the praise of his name